0: Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now, this will be the fourth ball that I've ever been. Cooper puts it in with in this match.
1: Well, suddenly it's become a right.
2: Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast. Uh, we promise you, if nothing else, it will be more entertaining than the endless stream of <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if Messi signed for takes that are infesting social media tonight? Cause Jesus, I think I've seen every single club in the hemisphere. Uh, anyway, with myself and Martin tonight, we'd like to welcome back Tom Watt. Tom, how are you?
4: Very good, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
2: Always a pleasure. So, from the two very welcome wins, if not exactly glittering performances over the past week, a few themes have emerged. And I think the most obvious one, Tom, is probably um, that we've got a a very versatile player in Ross McCrory.
4: Yeah, seems very, uh, very, very versatile. Has looked very composed wherever he's been, Uh, very confident on the ball, has looked uh, solid in midfield solid holding solid very solid at center back and, and at full back as well um i think there were there were kind of rightly quite a lot of questions about why why he was why you know his position was being prioritized um and i think we can kind of see why because he he does offer an awful lot of versatility there um i think it's kind of hard to see the best of him from midfield over the two games that we've seen because we've kind of bypassed the midfield completely in uh, in the last couple of games. But he's he's clearly a very intelligent footballer. He's been very calm and assured, slotted in nicely to to defence. And you, yeah, you I mean you can see that he was signed for his versatility, and and you kind of don't let a Scotland under twenty one captain pass you by if he's an option. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see where he fits in the longer term because it does sound very much like. While he was signed for his versatility, he's, he's been singled out for praise for, uh, after both games. And I would be very surprised if, if, um, if fit he is not playing. So where he, where he, where he fits in in the long term, given he seen so, co- uh, so confident and so composed wherever he's been, I think that, that'll be a really interesting one.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can imagine Martin. The sales pitch to him um, must have uh, spoken about where he was going to be playing, as opposed to the fact, or oh, you'll come in, you'll get a game, but we might not be sure where. So, do you see him as a centre half, or do you see him as a holding midfielder based on the first 180 minutes that you've seen?
3: I was, I was impressed with him at both. I mean, I think we'll probably see more of him a defensive midfield. I mean, you know, once everybody's back and we find ourselves, you know, with a full a full squad, then. I'm sure that we'll see him you know, in a set position rather than um, right back and then centre half as a, in part of a three and then a four. Yeah, I was, like I said, on the two the two like, sort of verdict shows we did, I was really impressed with him. Um, I would still, you no, know, some of his distribution could have been better on on the Thursday night, but they'll just totally destroy him after one game. I was very impressed by him. This isn't a guy coming in who will be one of these average utility squad players. He's come here to start and play games. We spoke about how no, Rangers fans were were annoyed to see him going. I mean, whether that's just they were annoyed to see him going to Aberdeen is to be seen. But we've heard lots of good things about him. We've seen two games where he's been pretty good as well. i um, really, really positive about this guy coming to the club.
4: I think it'd be really interesting, just very quickly. I think it'd be really interesting to to, to get what his perspective on it is because he's obviously like he's obviously a footballer. Like he he's a he is more of a footballing brain and and is more um all-round football ability than most defenders and i can see why he, you know he, he he might want to be as involved as possible but there is also this you know there is the other side of this is if if he wants to ha- like if he want has an eye on an international level which we know would be the next logical step up given um he's performed very well for scotland under 21s we are crying out for centre halves and whether he, like, whether he sees himself as he wants to dominate games and be in the middle, where there's a lot of competition at international level, or whether he wants to slot in at the back and become the ball-playing defender that we, you know, would be a good foil for any of the other centre-backs we've got. It's quite an interesting option.
2: That's quite an appealing prospect to me anyway, Tom. My, my concern over him has been whether, and it's a bit like my concern about John Suter, is whether he kind of falls between two stools. Maybe slightly lacking the visibility or the pace maybe to be a top-class centre-half. Maybe slightly lacking the technical skills on the ball or maybe even the mobility and speed around the park to be an effective either ball-winning midfielder or... Sitting midfielder at the very top level So I, I, that's my Initial concerns, albeit based on obviously Not having seen him week and week out at Rangers And only watching him for 180 minutes I just wonder if he maybe Falls slightly between those two stools And we've seen players down the year Their versatility, it's a good thing for the manager But it's ultimately damaging For their career So so yeah, I think it definitely will be interesting to see How it pans out over the course of the season Um Focusing more on, more on Saturday, um, Martin, uh, the, the conversation's obviously turned to Ryan Hedges' uh, goal on Thursday night and a fabulous assist for the second goal on, on Sunday. Um, and I'm going to bring Scott Wright into this conversation as well because obviously the two of them combined exceptionally well for the goal. It's a brilliant bit of football. But during the course of the game for the 90 minutes that Hedges was on, maybe 80 minutes actually, I think he was taken off, in uh, 60 minutes for for Wright, uh, Scott Wright only had 14 touches of the ball, 14 passes, nine of which were successful. Um, obviously, he scored, but no successful dribbles. And for guys like Wright and Hedges, surely that's cornerstone of what you're looking for them to bring to the team. Now, part of that, clearly, Martin, is that we. Weren't very good at getting the ball to the front players Surely this is the knob of the problem We know a manager like Derek McInnes To, to, blind, to just say that he doesn't like attacking players Misses the point But what he does want from his attacking players Is that they get involved in the game When things necessarily aren't going our way
3: We did speak about this a little bit When we did the, the post-game as well And I don't want to dwell too much But you know, we saw that we were very defensive in the first half I know the, 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 the passing the passing was really was really was quite poor um, for most of that first half. So you want you want more from these guys you now if if they're not getting into the game if the deliveries they're getting aren't good enough um, drop deep you no know, try and create move into space create you know, try and find some space to get the ball so you can be given the ball. I mean having no, no like you say you look at the stats no successful dribbles is the one that stands out. It isn't impressive. I mean rightly the goal was excellent. Um, it 's exactly what we need to be seeing, not just from those two though we need to be seeing that from all the attacking options in Livingston, particularly, but there 's a lot of other teams that we know will just will pack the defense we 'll try and try and play really narrow against us, and that 's the kind of thing we 're going to need from players. We have some good players, Richard, and we have a good squad, but you know, are we really good enough to carry players that will have, have, a, have parts of the game let that pass them by, um, and some of the game I think did pass. Past, right right, right, mostly, but I think hedges as well there was a lot there's a lot of time where the, times during the game where they just they, they didn't, it didn't happen for them, and I, I don't think we can afford to have that happen
2: you kind of feel, Tom, in the trade off between hard work and a flash of inspiration that Dart McInnes will uh, often plump for the former
4: yeah and and you can i mean there, there is enough evidence that, 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 that that's the case. But I mean, in the flip side of that is, hard work should be the easy part. Like both of them are, both of them are are very talented players. I mean, uh, we've seen from Hedges, he's a very good finisher. He's good at running at people. He can play, you know, he he can play inside and out. He can play on either wing, um. But it's, he drifts in and out of games, and I think that um that's sometimes a criticism that's levelled at some of the other, you know, like a a Niall McGinn, for example, uh, but. When he he can let the game, you know, a game can pass him by for sixty minutes, and then he will do something definitive. And when he gets the opportunity, there's there's a lot about his game that maybe goes um, is underrated. But both with both Hedges and Wright, there is an opportunity for them both at the moment to stake a claim. And I think the the difficulty with both is you can see where their um, you can see what their attributes are. Like I've mentioned, Hedges. Right, I think is one of the best finishers we've got. I think he plays really nicely on the shoulder of defenders. He's got a range of shooting, but we're not quite. I mean, we're we're still not sure where his. Like, in an ideal world, if you were to build the team around him, where where would his position be? Would he be played out wide? Would he, would he be behind the striker? Is he a ten? Is he? He's not. He's not a, like a wide right player. He's not necessarily a playmaker. He's just got a lot of raw talent and he both of them now need to make themselves um indispensable there, there is so much competition for the positions that they play and the positions that they have occupied you know as, assuming if everybody's fit Hayes McGinn McLennan now Watkins can all play out wide or behind um, strikers are coming but like Curtis Maynes was back on the bench um uh, you know Bryson and Ferguson can both p- play behind the striker. It sounds like uh, the, the the striking injuries might be easing off by the end of um, you know o- October, defender uh, October November time. They need to. They they're not. You know, Wright is not a promising youngster anymore. He needs to be dominating games. He needs to be making decisive actions in games. There are plenty of younger players who. Um, 'll we'll be getting minutes just for the sake of them getting minutes this season, so I think with both with both of them, they need to be more visible and more to kind of stamp their authority more on games i think it's been 's been encouraging from hedges that he 's made two decisive um impacts on the game so far. I think it was great that Wright got his goal and it was a really really lovely finish, great interplay between the two of them, hopefully more of that to come but they can't let the games pass them by like this, especially in games like around the time that we scored and around the time that we we had a sort of 20-minute period where everything was going right. That's really when they had an opportunity to kind of put their foot on Livy's neck and and they drifted in and out of it again. So I think much more make themselves indispensable because there is so much competition for their positions.
2: Yeah, and there's a real willingness, Martin, for... Amongst the support, clearly for Scott Wright to do well, but I also think there's a willingness from the management team because he he does keep getting first team chances and keep getting starts, um, despite maybe not coming up with the goods um, when you know when he's called upon.
3: No, it's, it's just a, no, an assumption. But you know, the management team obviously see something there. Um, they wouldn't no, he, he wouldn't still be here if they didn't. No, he would have been. He would have been moved on. I don't know what he, what he's best at, um, and I don't think any of us do. Perhaps that's maybe the problem with a with a manager as well. He doesn't he doesn't know what, how to get the best out of him or where to get the best out of him, which is a shame. Particularly with with, with Scott Wright. I mean, you know, we're we're desperate for this guy to do well, um, and you know, you have to hope it comes. I think this is his last season. Um, he's out of contract. I think at the end of the season, so it's a it's a big season for him, and he's you know there this chance that he's got. There's
2: Hello? a there's a regular there's a regular um, use of the words. Uh, this is a big season for Scott Wright. Um,
3: yeah, of course. So it's like it's like we used to know. Like three four years ago? We used to do it with Kami Smith, um, and we're <laughs> going to do it. We're going to do it now with Scott Wright. We're going to run that into the ground um, until May or until he gets a new contract.
2: Yeah, uh, he is one of a uh, host of players out of contract in summer twenty twenty one. So, uh, so yeah, I think we are entirely justified to uh, use the phrase for the fourth successive year. It's a big year for Scott Wright. <laughs> uh, uh, obviously, looking at our options up top, they were bolstered, Tom, by the arrival of uh, Miley Watkins. We sp- spoke a bit in uh, Sunday's post game show of what we thought, um, I think the general opinion seems to be that he did pretty well. Um, I think more interesting for me is that this seems like someone who might definitely be in the manager's thoughts post this season.
4: Yeah, I mean, he was, he was very promising uh, from a promising debut. I mean, there is a, an opportunity for him to become the club's most legendary number 50 <laughs> uh, I think, I, I think you're right. I think there was a lot to like in his, in his, uh, in his debut. A lot of good movement. His link up play was good. He stretched play well and, and he was generally quite a nuisance. I, I think to some extent we got what we thought we'd got. Like, I don't think he is or ever was an out and out number nine replacement. Um, for the credit that uh, Robbie McCrory got for the two saves he made. I think a, a Cosgrove would have scored at least one of them, but he was physical. He closed down well. He did the less glamorous stuff really nicely, um, and he was he was generally a nuisance, which meant that we we could get an awful lot more from our creative our players, especially in the second half. He is someone that McInnes has been a fan of for a while. Um, he's been at a target at least a couple of times. I mean, he he, he takes all sorts of. McKinnis transfer target boxes that he knows the league has done well uh, in the league previously. He uh, has won the Scottish Cup with Inverness, which is obviously a, a big plus, and he's had he's played down south and had actually reasonable success in the English Championship over the last f- few years. I, I would be very happy if, as a fan, this was kind of a trial season for us both. Um, I, th- I mean, I think the squad we've got a lot of great we've got a lot of talent in the squad, but what we don't have perhaps is uh, an obvious sort of number 10 playmaker behind the striker player. Maybe he'd fit that mold a little bit better, but again, he's versatile. He's a goal threat. He's a little bit different to what we have fit at the moment. And I, I, I could see why he might potentially be someone that we would look at in the longer term.
2: Um, something that we didn't actually mention on, on Sunday, Martin, um uh, Possibly because he just went off at half time, but in the forty-five minutes that we did see from him, I thought Scott McKenna absolutely strolled it. Uh, I thought he looked head and shoulders above anybody else in that uh, that half of the pitch.
3: I really did. Um, yeah, it was. Wel- I was welcoming to see him back. Um, you know, um, a big fan of his. Um, I th- no, and hopefully, we hopefully. No, I think he went off for just. I think I read that it was just a bit of fatigue he had. Sickness. I heard. Out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it sickness? Was it? Which you know, it's po- hopefully it's just. Um, Maybe I'll be, I'll kind of follow on from obviously having you know having this time away, time out. Uh, but yeah, you're, you're right. You absolutely strolled it. Um, long, long may that continue, because um, guys like guys like him are going to be are going to be pivotal, pivotal to this season for us.
2: Okay, so moving on to uh, Thursday, we have Enesui uh, Runevik who are visiting in Europa League duty. Now, first off, to get the essential lowdown on uh, NSOE, uh we chatted to Faroese journalist, Trondor Argy. We started off by asking him how football and the Faroese have been affected by the coronavirus pandemic. The league has been playing continuously, and
1: then we had a very short summer break. Multiple uh, clubs play in Europe now, uh, 4 out of uh, 10. So a lot of pictures were moved forward, so the summer break was a little short. Uh, but now we had uh, just during the uh, late uh, July, we had a spike in the coronavirus cases, which put us back to uh, football with no fans. But and there was only one one game uh, that was postponed. Other than that, uh, the first team in football has been uh, yeah, played as, as, as normally as, as you can, but without fans for the last uh, couple of weeks, and it will be so. No- the rest of this week, but maybe from next week, um, they will be with fans again, as there have been no cases uh, except from a Russian uh, trawler, uh, which is situated outside one of the villages. Other than that, in-house, if you could call it that, there have been zero cases for three days now, so we believe that we have the, the coronavirus under control in the Faroe Islands for now. So that will allow fans to go back into the stadiums and close the trade.
0: Well, that's excellent news, obviously, first and foremost, but it sounds like you're a lot closer to getting things back to normal than we are. Um, when I look at the favourite league right now, the league standings, it strikes me as a pretty clear top five and bottom five split. Is the fact that you've got a, a core of clubs that seem to continually qualify for European competition every year and therefore getting money in from UEFA making a difference there? Yeah, it, it is. Um, and. and
1: and you have to remember how, how big the money is. it's like yourself, well, once they stages of the Champions League, the money are so big that you can almost buy any player that you want. Um, but we do have, I would say, it is sports, uh, you can you can count which good are on fifth place, but they've been there for two consecutive seasons and are unable to uh, make a challenge for the top four. It is top four, and then you have a box of for bottom five, depends on if one of the clubs maybe tries to, to, to make a getaway from the bottom. But uh, there is definitely a case of European money uh, having a really big impact. If you become champions, it what has to be like seven, eight hundred thousand pounds maybe uh, that you get in and that is maybe twice uh, what some of the clubs spend in a year. So you can imagine a year's budget uh, or two coming in uh, just uh, for one league win make things very difficult and I would say that some of the clubs at the top be in.
0: by money for clubs that have reached the group stages and um, you know it ends up being the same team two teams winning all the time and that's the situation we're very used to in scotland it's nothing here that uh, even at lower levels it's distorting leads to, to that degree um moving on to nsc themselves obviously the repeated european qualifications which is which is a good thing for them domestically but they, but they have struggled to get over that that line in europe so it was a really big deal when they beat Barry Town last week, it was their first win in fourteen attempts. I think
1: it is. Um, and are a team. It's a reasonably young club. They come from an area where where they were a yo-yo club uh, between the best and the second best division until late nineties, maybe ninety seven and ninety eight. I think was the was the last relegation, and since then they've added to to. Uh, to Paris football, I would say, and they've added to the club as well. And right now, they're famous for playing reasonably good football. Some of the brightest talents in Paris football come from NSOE. They play very good football, uh, interesting to watch, but uh, unfortunately, uh, they've only got one championship to show for it, and one uh, a cup victory here in 2017, I think it was. And once they've played uh, in Europe, they They've been, they've been unlucky uh, the draw time and play with them. But well, there have been a couple of occasions where you think that if they were able to grind a little bit more, to be a little bit more uh, forceful. Uh, they could have done better. So there's sort of like a, a, a couple of... I don't know how would you say that. It's, they play well. It's interesting to watch them play. They're offensive, they create a lot of talent, a lot of players coming through the ranks. Uh, but when, when, when it comes to uh, these one-off games in Europe, when, when it comes, comes to winning the league, to, to push on for the last 7-8 uh, rounds of the league, uh, they seem to fall short every time. And it's sort of like a, a saying in there that once that, that things get really tough, uh, they sometimes fall apart.
0: So uh, an entertaining team, but maybe not quite so streetwise uh, quite yet. Um, one of those failed attempts that uh, winning a European tie, obviously, was against Kibs uh, two years ago. Two entertaining games, by the sounds of it, uh, a 6-1 defeat in Edinburgh, but a rather crazy 4-6 game uh, in the Faroes. Should we take anything from that game from two years ago? Has there been much change in the NSUE uh, squad since then?
1: Yeah, this season they don't play as adventurous as, as they have. they have switched to a 3-5-2 uh, system. And this 3-back, uh, which sometimes becomes a 5-back, depending on, uh, on who they're playing and how, how, how stressed they are. And they have retreated a lot of the pitch, but they, they defend very close to their own goal. Uh, have a very good goalkeeper and, and very weak standards. And a very strong defense, very smart defense in many ways. And they've lost uh, probably their brightest player, a player called Alton you know, the Berg. He now plays the game go for beating uh, 36. Uh, he used to be the one who was the most exciting player to watch. He could, he could assist and score goals if he's, he's a uh, left or the right winger. So they're missing him so that they're not playing with wings anymore, they're rather playing with wing back. Um, and then another talent has emerged, which is called Peter Knudsen. Uh, him and is uh, Antos and Olsen. Uh, Olsen is the one who scored four goals against uh, Hibs on, on, on that occasion. He is still therefore forceful striker but where he's used to score on crosses, it's a little less uh, playing out to the wide and then putting is into him. It's a little bit more different in many ways. And uh, Peter Knudsen, uh, a striker, which might be interesting, is the son of the goalkeeper with the bubble half. Yes, Jens Martin. yes. Team, yeah? And Jens Martin, he's still a part of the coaching team, and he's going to be the, probably the most uh, entertaining player to watch on the pitch, so I would say they play a little bit more. as what we see from Bulls, or maybe even Sheffield United uh, in the English Premier League, rather than.
0: and Olsen, um, I wouldn't say I was able to see him score the hat trick against Barry because um, <laughs> the, the stream was um, rather occluded by a, a typical fairways foggy uh, evening. Um, but again, a hat trick against Barry's time. Um, so clearly the main danger. You, you think they are playing more defensive this, uh, this year, so you think they've toughened off at the back? Yeah,
1: they definitely have. Amazon
0: stages. It means uh, no fans at any of the games, but um, it would have removed um, the two legged affairs. So, um, Aberdeen fans are missing out on the opportunity to get to top tier, to get to uh, the Faroes. It's Scottish fans, um, I think, have maybe got a collective shudder still down their uh, necks when they think of Scottish trips to the Faroe Islands. Um, there's been some memorable encounters down the years, haven't there?
1: Absolutely. Uh, some of the fondest memories that we have in the Faroe Islands, also. We'll talk to you about some of those trips when the Scottish accomplished Uh, very friendly people, very lively people and uh, managed to set alive the nightlife every time the the Scottish fans have been here. And of course, two draws, one uh, at the very end against the two walks, then it was, uh, of course, uh, Brown, uh, who uh, who was the... National coach went, I think we went 2-0 up within the first 15 minutes, and the 2-2 with a primary school teacher being our, two, uh, our double <laughs> goal scorer. So we we remember that very possibly also very good game, one in Aberdeen, back in 98, maybe, I think we lost 2-1. Colin Henry uh, made a penalty, and again, a primary school teacher, John Peterson, scored. And those are, are, uh, are memories that we remember very fondly. At that time we had a, a boat which Chef Aberdeen and we just uh, like, got there and then everyone was living on the boat and then they managed to the game and the back and then fell back home, and people still talk about those games. So we've had some incredible games against uh, Scotland and I've been to I think, all three of the ones who have been in Scotland from the old Hampton Park to uh the new one uh, and I think in you almost know, every
0: of the games we scored so uh, let's hope at least uh, so we can get the goal and, and make it exciting for whoever is watching Yes uh, there's been two internationals at the Taudry, um a 3-0 victory um, a couple of years ago as well under Craig Levine I think um, and obviously there's a long-standing connection with the Faroes in Aberdeen I think there's been a Faroes consulate here in Aberdeen for, for a number of years obviously linked with the shipping industry so it's a real shame that uh, it's not a traditional European qualifier Thank you so much for your time, John De.
1: Yeah, no problem. And I, I can add to that, that Aberdeen has had very fair reach so, Yes, remember, yeah, uh, of uh, course.
0: With Hasler with Hansen,
1: and Chickenshaw and his own. And they're both doing very well now, at full international. So maybe Aberdeen will, uh, after the game, will look
0: into the Cougs and find him. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, Haller Hansen obviously went on and had a really good club career in, in Denmark, I think. It's been interesting watching him occasionally pop up as a scorer in European uh Championship qualification Games and so on So yeah
1: Yeah And let's hope That uh, we'll meet again In the next qualifier
0: I'm sure that'll happen At some point soon And uh, we'll get the opportunity to, to head to talk to you Anyway Thank you so much For your time again Trondor. No worries
2: right, So Tom uh, Toronto reckons It'll be three five two From NSUE On Thursday uh, But that the key men Are the front two uh, Do you really think We need to approach this With any sort of Degree of caution Or do you expect the gap between the sides, between the leagues, to be pretty noticeable?
4: I think probably both of those things. I think we, we absolutely need to take them seriously. They're a lot further on in their season than we are. Um, they, they've had a very, very good result. I mean, one of the best results in, in their history um, in the last round. Um they have enough about them that if we don't take them seriously, they could be quite awkward. And there is this X factor of it being, it's a, it's a one-off cup tie. Um, there will definitely be seeded teams in this round and, and further on who aren't, don't have their eye on the ball properly and suddenly find that they're out of Europe without this, you know, without a second chance to put things right. I think given the, the relative, Quality in both squads, and um, the record in Europe. I think the best European result uh, Rinovic have had was away from home, was losing two one to uh, Dinamo Minsk a year ago or two. Um, does suggest that they they don't travel particularly well, and we should have enough about them. But they do have them, you know. They, they do have dangerous players. Um, Peter Knudsen, I think from midfield. The uh, Clement Olsen, the, the the danger man up front, who's the guy that scored a hat trick against Hibs um, a, a couple of years ago, and scored for the Faroe Islands against Spain. I think those are those are players that if we are not at our game and we don't take this seriously, um, have the you know have a have an ability to to hurt us. Um, I I would imagine that we are taking this seriously and that we will have too much of them, but we we. Just need to take this, take it seriously Don't talk too much About getting to the group stages Don't talk too much about who's lying In wait, get this one out of the way And move on
2: It's fortunate in a way Martin that um, The qualifiers are later this year We have had a couple of uh, league matches now Because as Tom rightly points out And as Toronto said as well The Fiori's league season is, uh, There was a, a point where they had to shut back down again But they were playing almost all the way Through the summer period um, so they're definitely match fit, and that was very clear um, from what little I was able to see of their preliminary round against Barry Town, uh, peering through the fog. So they definitely got a sharpness about them. So um, it, it's a good job we've had those two games in the last seven days.
3: There'll be we no excuse us, us not having the sharpness. No, we've said that in we've said that in previous seasons where you know, perhaps we've been not necessarily caught cold, but you know had we been. Had we perhaps been two or three weeks further on, then we would have maybe managed to get through this game, this game or that game. It's certainly going to help us. Um, I don't think there could be many excuses. Uh, anyway, we saw enough on, particularly the second half on Sunday against Livingston, that say that you know we're looking in decent, we're looking in decent shape. And you know while I wouldn't be totally cocky and want to write off um, Runovic, um, you know we should we should have we should have I think we should have faith that we should have enough. To get past them
2: I don't know about you two But um, the league games that we're missing at Petaudry They're hard enough for me to take anyway Because I'm sat here a couple of miles away from the ground But you know I've, I've missed league games You've missed league games Most of us will have missed the odd random league game at some point But the European games for me Have always been pretty special Whether it's just the, the alienness of uh, Sides in, in, in different coloured jerseys Without any away support They've just had a, a, a a uniqueness about them Right from uh, the very first uh, time I started going to Petaudry So um, we thought we'd just do a few minutes Looking back at our European memories So uh, Tom for you What, what was your first uh, pole match uh, For the Dons in Europe?
4: Oh first I think it was Torino
2: Well that's quite a good uh, one to start with
4: good one to start. I mean I don't I largely don't have great European memories it was at was Torino it was at Bromby uh, I was at bohemians <laughs> on the other side of things, as a yeah, as, as a slightly you know slightly older and being sure that that was gonna. Uh, but Yeah, I mean, I guess they like you say the, the early games when you've got matches against teams that you're never gonna like the, I mean, the, the the Torino game is a weird one because at the time it didn't seem that unusual to be playing uh, you know a, a Torino. Team that had multi-million pound players in it at the time, because that although we'd not necessarily, you know, it wasn't the, the best Aberdeen team that we'd ever had at the time. It wasn't that long since we'd had decent runs in Europe, and it and it it wasn't like they were Italian giants coming across and everyone was bowing down to them. At that at that point, Scottish football was in a, in a in a slightly more competitive state, so it didn't feel at the time like these are these sort of one-off matches. That are era defining in the way that perhaps Copenhagen or, or Bayern might have been for for, um, or you know even some of the ones recently the 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 Burnley game and things. So I I mean I think I've been I've over the last over the McInnes era I've been at most if not all the home games and was over in grown again which was amazing. But
2: yeah, I think I
4: think Torino was my first.
2: Only 10 years after Gothenburg, Torino. It, it's kind of remarkable to think that 10 years separated that from Gothenburg, and we're talking about 20 years now on from games like the Bohemians uh, game. Terrifying. Uh, we, we are all terribly old men, um, the three of us on this podcast. Um, so if um, Tom was Torino, Martin, can you remember your first petardry European experience?
3: Um, yeah, um, mine was uh, BK1903 Copenhagen mm. uh, in 1991. Um, I'll be honest, I don't remember a hell of a lot about it um well, you've got a, a demo thrown
2: in as well for the for the price of your admission ticket, so you've got a demo yeah. outside the main stand as well so
3: See, i did i did remember that um <laughs> but you know i mean i, I um i was have been a little lo- obviously i've been going to loads of league games before that um that this was my first uh, opportunity to get to a european match um and you know i think we've established before that I'm a complete and total jinx when it comes to Aberdeen. Um, so yeah, of course we lost one 0 at home. Um, <laughs> I had, I, I remembered, I were like, I remembered in my mind the goal being really, really, really good. But then I, I looked up, it's on YouTube. And it was just like a ten second clip of it. Um, and at, no, at the time I thought it was a cracker. But I'm looking at it, back at it now, um, having looked at it a few times today, I think maybe Theo should have done a bit better for it. Oh,
2: sacrilege. Um, Yeah, maybe we are a jinx. We started this podcast in 2015, we last won a trophy in 2014. Yeah, it's all (laughs) coming together, it's awful. Um, Mine was actually Beveren, um, which is 1984, so we were the Cup winners' cup holders at that point. Um, For some reason, uh, my old man was far too stingy to take me to the uh, Akranias game in the first round. Um, That year was the first year I'd gone on a regular basis, had season tickets... Beveren is remembered now as the um, day that Alex Ferguson turned down the offer of the job from Ibrox. Um, so it was quite an atmosphere in the ground that night um, and it was absolutely packed to the rafters as well. Dawn's won 4-1. Um, just, a, just a tremendous experience to, to kick off your uh, European era uh, my European era at Potodri. As far as the games the previous year had, uh, had uh, been, obviously those memorable ones against Bayern and What a shy. um, I know my my dad went to them, um, but uh, I was patched off to the grandparents for the night. And I've got a vivid memory of uh, my granddad sort of telling me, don't tell me the score. I'm going to watch the highlights of the game uh, on STV at night. So so I'd obviously been listening to the radio and and knew that we'd won 5-1 that night, but I wasn't allowed to pass that information on until... Which uh, I think for anybody under the age of 30, thinking that um, people would do that, to not just find a stream or watch it live... Uh, it's inconceivable to them that a European semi-final wouldn't have been live on the telly. But that's what it was like, kids. I'm sorry, we all sound about a thousand years old over this past <laughs> twenty minutes. But that's what it was like. Um, so, one part of the experience, Tom, is the is the home game. Um, I think, as I said, it's got that uniqueness, that strangeness about it. But the away trips are obviously um, part and parcel of um, following uh, a team like Aberdeen. And can you, around be your first one? Um. Yeah, can I? I'm, I'm not sure I, I? I'm not sure. I went to that.
4: I'm not sure I went to a away game until until Bayern Munich. It's. I mean, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say the Bayern Munich. If I can remember, if I can remember another European one pre- previous to that, then.
2: I mean, it has to be said we have been as far as European. Entry um, goes a little bit spoiled over the last few years. We've come, become very blase about it because there were plenty of years where it was off the table for us. So, um, you know, Bayern is a is a shout.
4: Oh, I was at the Atletico. I was at the Athletico Madrid game earlier than that, it's a couple of weeks. earlier You had about
2: ten percent of the entire population of Aberdeen yes. over there.
4: <laughs> so I think yeah. So I think it was probably Atletico Madrid.
2: Uh, Any particular uh, memories?
4: Uh, like f- fantastic. Uh, Fantastic cocktails, <laughs> Madrid. Great, like a, a great, great stadium. Um, like the, one of those, you know, they don't build them like those anymore stadiums. Um, looking at the, uh, back on the Atletico Madrid 11 at that point, it's the sort of one that, uh, you know, we're talking like grand old men, uh, these, you know, now, if you talk to someone 17, 18 year old, uh, who, Maybe doesn't remember those those sorts of games. The the lineup in that uh team was was pretty spectacular and the fact that you had surreal moments like Sergio Aguero being closed down by Ricky Foster. Um yeah, I think that I think that was my first away game. Didn't tend to go too many and there was a there were large gaps between our involvement. But no, it didn't certainly didn't when I was a teenager. Um so it was only when I kind of like was allowed to do what I wanted that i could uh i could t- take myself off and like you say, kind of being spoiled with them a bit more now um it, it's it was like the the sort of annual boys trip was to make sure that we could get to one of the away games but
2: yeah, no, absolutely uh, and it, it is all about timing, absolutely Because you get that point where Say you're at university and you maybe can't afford to go away Or you're just working your first shitty paid job And you can't afford to go away So that, you know, you have to Timing comes into it so, as well Speaking,
4: speaking of uh, things that people don't understand I remember the, the The away leg of the Hertha Berlin game Which was on so, I, I wouldn't name the names of pubs But there were two pubs in Aberdeen That were showing it dubiously legally and there was like roving bands, it was like roving hordes running around the streets desperately trying and then there was a rumour that a pub was showing it so everyone would pour in one direction to find it and eventually you know getting there you know 20-30 minutes in. So talk about old man you know back there was a time back before everything was available at the touch of your fingers on the internet uh, and you had to Run around Aberdeen like a sweaty mess, trying to find uh, the, the, the two pubs in town showing the Hertha game
2: yeah, and uh, you know my admiration for the for the guys that sort of took coaches to go to Munich or coaches to Gothenburg is huge because again, before the last fifteen twenty years and the way in which low cost flights have opened up the ability to go around Europe fairly competitively and cheaply. It, it was an expensive business, or a very, very time-consuming, very, very uncomfortable business. On the other hand, to get to these games, uh, my first away game was, in fact, the um, it was, in fact, that Hertha Berlin game. Having um, been too young to to be in Torino, in fact, Torino game coinciding with my fresher's week at Edinburgh University. Um, you know, celebrating the second Aberdeen goal that night by kicking a hole in uh, our uh, dorm room, um, which never, which, you know, which didn't get repaired for that whole year. And then when it came to sort of next time, really, after the Scott-Origa clash the next year, the next time we qualified, I'm pretty sure, was the um, Bohemians game in 2000. And, um, the chat amongst us was, oh, we'll wait to the next round, which is a classic mistake that we haven't actually repeated again since. Uh, we made sure, for example, when it came to Neat Pro in 2007 that we were going to move Hell High Water to be there because we assumed that it would, be the, uh, it would be the only tie that we'd be in. So um, yeah, that's definitely a, a learning from these things. Never wait until the next round. Never assume that you're going to get through.
4: A lot of Kilmarnock fans had a very pleasant holiday last year, two weeks, two weeks football free, you know, with no stress at all.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I suppose sometimes with the um, it would have been the same if, for example, Vlaika um, had uh, turned it around. I know there was like, quite a few people... Uh, well obviously it's not a huge amount, went to Kazakhstan but quite a few people had booked their flights to, to Kazakhstan after the first leg in, in Raika, um, assuming we were going through so if they'd uh, built on the 2 lead that uh, they'd, uh, they'd established at Petodre and, and managed to turn it around there would have been some people enjoying some, some free time in Astana um, Martin, uh, finally, uh, your first away one
3: much the same as um, same as Tom was Atletico Madrid. Um, unfortunately, though know, like you know, the early one, early ones that two thousand and two thousand and two couldn't afford to go. As Tom mentioned, there, Hearts of Berlin watched it in a in probably most the most packed pub I think I've ever been in Aberdeen. I um, won't. No, it, it rhymes with dryery, shall we say? Um, it's closed now anyway, so it doesn't matter um, But yeah, um, that was the most ridiculously packed boozer I think I've ever been in um, It was a disgrace how, how packed it was You couldn't get to the bar could barely you know, lift your arms up right, up from your sides to watch it, which is terrible But yeah, the first time I was able to go to a proper away game um, in Europe was, was Atletico Madrid Which, um, you know, it was a fin- it was a brilliant trip I mean... Obviously, didn't get a result. We know that, but um, you know that amount Aberdeen fans being being over there, um, it was just a it was a proper a proper piss up. Great ground as well. It's, t- it's really sad to see that ground being torn down. So it's not a th- not a thing left of it anymore. Uh, I know some people said, kind of "Oh, it was a bit of a shithole" and all that kind of stuff, but it was a prop. It's a proper football ground, and yeah, it's sad to see that one gone. But
4: it feels like the center of the earth. Where <laughs> you you feel like you're properly in the, cent- the city centre. Like I, I, I totally understand why people were like, "Ah, no, it wasn't a modern stadium or anything. But the view you got, the where it, it was in the city, it felt like you were in the, the middle of, you know, the, the, the centre of the footballing universe. fairly I well. loved it. One of my favourite stadiums.
2: You go away and you have these tremendous trips and sometimes the football is the worst part, the actual game is the worst part of the whole trip. And, and you think, oh, you've had a great time anyway. And, you kind of steal yourself for the fact that, you know, maybe you're never going to win a big a big game like that. But then when you do get to an occasion where you don't expect to, you just realise it's so, so much better. Like that neat Pro trip for example, as I said, we all went, assuming that they'd do to us what they'd done to Hibs the year before. And we get scalped over there. But uh, when you get that result, when you achieve something over there, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit like walking out of hand in after being one of the old firm. You, you feel 10 foot tall and really both emboldened by it. Um, but obviously, we're a long, long way away from nights like that. But on Thursday night, we're back into Europa League. Um, unfortunately, no fans there um, against in a series of the Faroe Isles So um, obviously Thursday night again uh, Once the full-time whistle goes, we Will be on air with a, with a round-up show And hopefully charting the dawn's progress Into the second qualifying round So to bring us back down to earth From uh, tales of foreign uh, football trips It's uh, time to revisit briefly The whole uh, issue of the, the Aberdeen 8 Because the disciplinary hearings For those are coming on Friday Tom, they've been charged with uh, breaking two rules: uh, Rule Twenty Four, which is that players are subject to the laws regulations, etc., etc., of the SFA, and Rule Seventy One, which is the bringing the game into uh, disrepute rule. I think I think we have to assume that there was going to be some form of punishment heading their way.
4: I think I mean I I think so. Um, I think when it when it happened, we were all expecting there to be repercussions. I think there's been a lot of Daft comments that probably have been, and opinions that may have been rolled back a little, um, subsequently when there was a lot of, you know, just knee jerk anger about it. You know, there a lot of comments about you know, docking points and things like that, which were just stupid and not workable in the slightest. I think everyone kind of accepts that it was stupid and careless and ignorant on all the things that were said. We inconvenienced opponents. And, you know, fortunately one of them inconvenienced themselves or, or we'd probably be getting a lot more grief than, than we've had so far. Um, I think the question's more whether the, whether they want to draw a line under it and say, look, here's something that is firm but fair or whether they really want to send a message out that we just, which may be to appease government or maybe just a, a, a general message that, you know, you've, we're going to get the book thrown at us. I would assume it won't be the latter because you would assume that, um, uh, uh Celtic is going to get greater punishment than the, you know, for jetting off to a foreign country and, and not just breaking protocols, but possibly breaking the law. So you would, you would assume perhaps that the punishment's not going to be as severe. However, there's also the, you know, if you, if you hit every single one of them with a, with a lengthy ban, you've wiped out a third of the squad for a long time. But yes, I think we're, we've got to be braced and aware of the fact that there are going to be repercussions for this and there's going to be some punishment. I would hope that it's more along the lines of drawing a line under it with everyone understanding exactly what has, what has gone on and how serious it was. And how, how seriously the players need to take their responsibilities from now on. Because there is the other issue at play here, which is whatever, whatever, whatever is handed down here is the precedent for the rest of the season. Uh, Or certainly for the, you know, uh, 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 until it comes such a point as they, we can have some sort of semblance of normality because you know, as, as, as Derek McInnes pointed out in his, some of his press comments last week with regards to some of the comments from the, the Hibs board, this is the sort of like clubs are doing all they can, but that is up to individuals as well. And the likelihood of a, of another player being caught out, you know, being out where they shouldn't or, or breaking curfew somehow is fairly high. So there is a, an issue of this, of the, yes, yes, uh, you know the, the, the kind of governing bodies and the powers that we need to appease the government and need to make sure that they are showing how serious it is, but they also need to set a precedent for something that may well happen again and they may want to destroy a line under as well.
2: Yeah, well, as I say, that, that's Friday that uh, those uh, hearings take place. Certainly um, no idea of when we'll actually get the outcome of those. Obviously, it's the the lower end of the scale for both of those uh, breaking both of those rules is a two game ban. Um, there's obviously the option to increase that. I guess there's also the option for the SFA to give out suspended sentences, possibly make um, make bans run concurrently for rule breaks. Who knows exactly how it's going to play out? But yeah, I think Tom, you're absolutely right. It it's about where on the line of. Um, of setting the precedent, but also there's obviously that relationship with the Scottish government to take into play, uh, and and that's a kind of wild card, which um, which really has uh, probably e- exaggerated this into a bigger issue than it perhaps was in the first place. Sunday, um, Hibs at Easter Road. Now, um, Martin, in the past we've we've always sort of said Hibs are Hibs are a bit of a soft touch, and, and we've got their number, but last season. We really, really struggled against them for two and a half of the three games against them, um, even though we ended up with one win and one draw from those three games. Uh, at Pitordry, I, I lost count of a number of times where uh, Scott Allen's free ball would playing Christian Doyd's clean two and Joe Lewis, and Joe Lewis then follow him. Um, and they were that was a particular issue in the games at Pitordry. Well, at uh, Easter Road, uh, a 3 0, hammering. I say hammering It ended up being If you get beat 3-0 You're hammered It was a pretty close game Until the first goal But Martin Boyle um, Actually Found a bit of composure And did the damage Down at Easter Road So um, This is No longer The sort of game Where you go into Thinking that Yeah We're going to This is Three points um, a, A pretty straightforward Three points rather
3: know we've been doing this podcast for five and a bit years, and we knew this moment was come would come i think eventually and Unfortunately, this is probably the season where i'm I'm sad to say it is we're probably going to have to take him seriously <laughs> um, which you know it's really sad that we're having to do this um you know More maybe now. in maybe another f- yeah maybe 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 in another five years' time we'll have to take Dundee United seriously as well we'll see um but yeah, you're absolutely right. You with know, the thing is, we did struggle um, in the games last season as well. Um, and they have, you know, they, you know, while while I'm obviously being very wide about them, you know, Boyle Boyle is a decent player. Scotland's a decent player. I um, you know they have they have caused us caused us trouble in the past. So we do need to kind of pick up pick up the the performance levels from know where we were against them last season because they're going to be there or thereabouts along along with us. I think. Uh, Come the end of this season, so it's um, it, is a, it is a bit of a worry um because you know, they are good players but but by saying that so do so do we, and I think that you no know, I think that hips have got the problem that we have as well where they 've got guys like martin Boyle and scott allen who who drift in and out of games uh, who can you know one on one game can be you know seem like a, seem like a world class footballer, and the next time you don't you don 't see him at all um, so I think that 's a problem they, ha- they they'll have as well um it's about, I think, just imposing imposing what we can do on on them as well. No, after no, with Friday, all this the carry on with the hearings on Friday. You no, know, we'll find out where we're going to be um, in terms of who can play and who can't. I think that might be a big thing as well. If we if we find ourselves um, at the business end of a few suspensions as well, then it might be a bit more. It will certainly be a lot more difficult. It is, it's it makes it makes me sad that we have to. We have to view Hibs as a threat now.
2: (laughs) Plus, of course, they they signed Ross McQuarrie the other week uh, to beef up their midfield. So, oh, wait. Um, I've I've got to say, Tom, as much as we're saying we're taking them seriously, I I did watch them versus Motherwell and most of their game at Perth at the weekend. Not hugely impressed, but what they're doing um, in both of those games, which is very un-Hibs-like, is uh, putting the points on the board.
4: Yeah, I, I think they. I think that's been the most impressive thing for, about them this season. I think um they, they started the season well, and like we've touched on, they've they've got a very creative midfield. They've got quite a dynamic front line. They've solved a few of their problems or looked to solve a few of their problems at the back already this season. I think they've signed well. I think uh, Goggez from Hamilton was a very shrewd signing. He was the, the outstanding player for Hamilton last year and was you know of and kind of really excelled playing um, as a defensive midfielder rather than at centre-back, something Hibs were obviously needing. Uh, Nisbet's got a lot of potential. Uh, I've been Im- impressed with uh, Doig so far at, at, at wing-back, the young young lad. Um, obviously, as you say, they thought they were signing McCrory. Um, they've been a lot more fluid with their formations um, and they're, they're, how they've approached games, their strategies... Not quite sure how they'll set up in this. Um, they were they were fairly, but, but the other side of it, like you say, they were they were pretty flat against um, St Johnston. game they, they ultimately won the penalty at the end, and they were pretty flat against Motherwell. Dubious goals disallowed for both St Johnston and Motherwell that would have completely changed the complexion of their season and and how they've started. Obviously, you have to caveat that with. They didn't, and they they went on to win those games, um, but those are the only, the the Motherwell games, the only points that they've dropped so far this season. It's a good it's a good test for us to show early on what the squad's about. Hibs have been setting the pace so far; they've only dropped a couple of points. If they're gonna lay down a marker for the season, we kind of need to start reeling them in, um, reeling them in early on. I think we will need to be better than we have been so far. I think the um. You know, there's, it's understandable that we were a bit flat against St. Johnston. I think against Livy, we, we had our spell where we were very, uh, we were good and we were dominant and we could easily have scored three and, and gone on to kill them. But we did give away a number of very good chances against Livingston and I think a little bit more composure with the kind of strikers that Hibbs have than, than they would punish us at, uh, for those. So I, I like to, in summary, Kind of agreeing with everything that everybody's said so far. They've they have set the pace so far. They have got good players. They have signed well. Uh, they are setting the pace of the season. But I don't think they're the finished article just yet. I think if we can impose our um, our game plan on them, we can cause them problems as we did in the final game that we played against them last season. And they haven't hit the heights performance wise, perhaps in the last couple of games. So, but a good early test A good early test to see what both sides are about um, I think
2: uh, Martin Toms used to work Good test, good marker uh, Undeniable those things But unfortunately if um, things go against us Next Sunday, that'll be in the first four games Home game against the Rangers And then uh, a game at Easter Road um, which, we will have, which we could have Failed the test in Which is, which is In terms of setting the, the, the score for the season it, it would not be a good look
3: it, w- it certainly wouldn't be a good start i mean you know, those are those are games that you yeah, those are your bigger games of the season as well there's no real excuses um, for not, for not being able to pass these to pass these tests as as you know, we've got enough players again obviously dependent on the disciplinary hearings, we've got enough players that we should be we should be should be at the very least competing and getting getting some sort of positive result out of that type of game
2: I mean, it would be exceptionally early days, Tom. But defeat, and you're you're looking at being ten points behind Hibs already. I, I say that, but I also remember, like we were probably more than that behind Hearts a couple of years ago, and actually overtaken them by by Christmas Day. So, um, you know, maybe I'm putting too much on this particular game. But but I I do think, you know, when you talk about it being a marker and a test, yes. But those are that's a test we do need to pass.
4: I think so, and I think. Uh... McInnes has always kinda talks about mini seasons and we know we need X amount of points by the time this international break comes in or, you know, this amount of points between December. I think he's fairly meticulous with setting mini targets within the season and he will have set the target or, you know, get three wins from the from the league games that we've got before the international break. I don't think it's disastrous if we don't if we don't win the game. I think the I think we will definitely need to be better than we have in any of our three league games so far this season um to to get that uh, and while I don't think it is a disaster if we don't pick up pick up points we do st- need to start building a little bit of momentum um going into the international break and it, and it would be nice to clip the wings of someone who's uh, you know who, who's seen as an early pace setter um I think Hibs probably have. They, they certainly haven't had uh, the, the the difficulties that we've had on and off the pitch. With with you know, we would have had a game against Celtic. We would have had a game against Rangers. They've they've had a slightly kinder fixture list, perhaps. But they are they are setting the pace. They have go, they have only dropped two points. So I, I think it's not a disaster, but it would be a setback, and it would be a nice way of just gently reminding them, you know. You've got a wee bit to go that you, yes, you have improved and yes, you've put a good team together, but you know, we're, we're still the ones to catch.
2: OK, so that's Sunday afternoon. Uh, it's, it's live on Sky again. Uh, I think it's half past four kick-off. Uh, so after both of the games this week, on Thursday and Sunday, there'll be a... Uh, I don't know if I've told Martin this yet, but there'll be a, a On The Whistle podcast after both of those yeah. games. Uh, so you can um, hear what we're making of them. So uh, tonight, my thanks, first of all, to uh, Toronto Argy uh, for giving us uh, the lowdown on NSUE and yes that apparently is how you pronounce them Uh, my thanks to Tom Watt for coming back on and sprinkling his special uh, stardust over this show thanks Tom thank
4: you very much for having me
2: and uh, thanks as ever to Martin Martin thanks
3: no problem Richard
2: alright we'll be back with you on Thursday evening hope you can listen in Um, and until then come on you reds